You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com. Good morning. We are almost finished with our Easter series. We have one more Sunday to go. Uh, what we have been doing this year, we started back in March, and we did the before part of this series we've called Before and After. In the before part, we were walking with Jesus to the cross. Now this month, we have been in the after part of this series on the other side of the cross. And what we have tried to look at so far this month is some ways the resurrection affected the lives of those disciples then and ask ourselves how the resurrection ought to impact our lives still yet today. We're going to be in uh, John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. If you have your Bible, I'd like to turn there and uh, follow along. Uh, be a neat thing to do. We'll also have the verses on the screen for you. <clears throat> What's happened up to this point? Is it Jesus has gone to the cross, shed His blood for our sins, yelled, it is finished, gave His life up. They took Him down off the cross, they put Him in a tomb, and they sealed it. Then on that first Sunday morning after the crucifixion, Mary and some other ladies make their way to the tomb to help better prepare the body of Jesus for burial. Upon arrival, they see the stone is rolled away. Mary Magdalene runs and tells a couple of the disciples, Peter and John. They run to the tomb. They go into the tomb. They see the linen clothes lying there just like a cocoon because Jesus came out of them. No grave robber came in and pulled them away and stole his body or anything like that. They're just laying there. He came out of them. The head wrap that was there, the burial napkin over his face, Jesus had folded up neatly and set it off to the side by itself. I think kind of a special sign or an indication that Jesus is saying, look, I've taken my life back up like I said I would. Those disciples see that, and the Bible says they go away believing. Mary Magdalene hangs around there at the tomb a little bit longer, and she's there crying and sees this guy that she thinks is the gardener and asks him, if you know where they've taken his body, tell me. And then when he calls her name, she recognizes that it's not a gardener at all, that in fact it is Jesus that she sees. Then Jesus gives her a task, a mission. He says, I want you to go and tell the disciples, go and tell my brothers that I want them to come and meet me. That Sunday evening, on that resurrection day, they are gathered together. They have locked the doors because they are afraid the same ones who put Jesus on the cross might just be looking for them. They're behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. And here's what happened. We saw these verses last week. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
And we talked about that word peace last week. It means to be at one with, and when it comes to you and I being in a relationship with God through Christ, that means we have been made one with God, one in a relationship with Him because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that is partly what Jesus is speaking to the disciples, but I think it is also this. Jesus is saying, yes, you guys went off and left me like I said you would. You did deny me like I said you would. But here's the deal. I'm here with you. We're still at one. I'm here with you. I've not given up on you. So anyway, he speaks peace to them. After he said this, he shows them his hands and his side. In other words, Jesus speaks peace. And then he says, guys, here's why you can have peace. Look at what I did for you. This is why you can experience peace. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. He says it the second time. He just had told them peace. Now he says it the second time, and I think here's what's up with that. Right after he says, peace be with you the second time, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And I told you last week that should have been a very encouraging message to his disciples because in essence, Jesus is saying, I'm not done with you. Yes, you denied me. Yes, you ran off. Yes, they crucified me. Yes, they put me in a tomb. But I took my life back up. I'm here with you. And guys, I have something I want you to do. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Now, that ought to encourage you greatly if you're a believer, because guess what? Believers mess up, me, you, and all of us. And sometimes we want to believe the devil's lie that, oh, well, we messed up now. We can't do anything for Jesus. Well, Jesus comes in to these disciples who forsook him, and he said, Peace be to you. By the way, here's how you can have a higher level of peace in your life. Go serve me. Go tell other people that there's forgiveness available through my gospel. Go set other people free. So Jesus comes in and he speaks that peace to the disciples. However, we're told as we pick up in the story today and continue to read, we're told that there was one disciple by the name of Thomas that wasn't there. Look at verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples on that first Sunday evening when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, Man, they should have. That's pretty significant, isn't it? They had something to tell. They went and said, hey, we've seen Jesus. By the way, you ought to do the same thing. You ought to go tell other people that you know Jesus Christ. But here's what he said. Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Have you ever heard the phrase, doubting Thomas? Guess where that phrase comes from? Right here. Because he's told by the disciples, Jesus is alive, and he said, I'm not going to believe that until I actually see and touch him. Now, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. We're on Sunday night, a week later, same house. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those 
who have not seen and yet have believed. And then, uh, separate from this event that takes place here, we're told as, as John starts to kind of wrap up his gospel a little bit, we're told the reason why he did a lot of miracles. And we'll come back to those verses in just a second. The title of today's message is this, How is your faith? Based upon the resurrection, Jesus went to the cross, He died for your sins, He took His life back up, but how is your faith? Do you have complete, total confidence in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done? Or maybe are you a little bit like Thomas? Maybe you are a little bit of a doubting Thomas. And there's some issues that you have with faith that just maybe you need to settle. So that's what we're going to talk about today. How is your faith. If you're following along in the, in the message right inside that little folder we gave, you look like a bulletin, we call it updates. There's kind of a fill-in-the-blank guy that you can follow along with. Your, your first uh, blank is this. Are you a doubter when it comes to faith? Are you a doubter? Are you a little bit like Thomas when it comes to faith? Do you have trouble accepting faith-type issues? I mean, if you can't see it, if you can't touch it, uh, if you don't have scientific evidence of it, that you have a little bit of trouble believing. Because a lot of people are kind of like that. But at the same time, do you realize you do things by faith all the time you don't even think about? You came in this worship center, sat down in a chair, by faith the chair would hold you up. For all you know, we sabotage it and loosen some of the screws up. You know, it's waiting for you to sit in it. And yet you didn't come in and pick the chair up, check all the screws and everything like that before you sat down. You were needing a place to sit, and you believed you could sit in that chair. See, you exercise faith all the time without even thinking about it. But a lot of people have big doubts when it comes to faith. Verse 24 and 25 that we read a moment ago, let's look back at that again just to set it in our mind as we talk about it. Now Thomas called Didymus... One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. By the way, the word Didymus means twin. So hold on to that. I'll come back to it in a second. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, but he said, unless I see him, unless I touch him, unless I've got all this evidence, I'm not going to believe. He's rejecting the fact that Jesus actually took his life back up. Now think about it. Logical thinking. I saw him arrested. They beat him. They nailed him to a cross. They stuck a spear in his side. They threw him in a hole in the ground in their old stone place. And he said, regardless of what you other disciples are telling me, I just don't believe that can happen. I just don't believe he really took his life back. I think you guys are confused somehow. And I'm not going to believe it unless I can actually touch the wounds and see the wounds. See, the problem is this. Thomas still has a lot of twins today. There are a lot of people still yet today that will say, I just can't accept the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that God became man, that He died on the cross for our sins, that He took His life back up on the third day. I just can't think that that's physically possible. I've just got a problem with it. Unless somebody can prove it to me, unless I can see it, unless I can touch the wounds that He has on His body, I'm just not going to believe. You see, a lot of people today are twins for Thomas when it comes to their faith. I want to talk to you about a couple of issues concerning faith that might affect your faith in a negative way as we look at this passage of Scripture. First one is this. There's a practice 
that affects people's faith in a negative way. Now, I'm not saying that Thomas had this as a practice in his life, but I will tell you we get a pretty good example of the practice that some people have by what Thomas fails to do. See, the Bible said that he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Think about what he missed. Because he didn't show up on that first Sunday when the disciples got together. And by the way, the message was sent. Jesus sent a message, by the way, of Mary Magdalene, and everybody else evidently got the notice because they're there. But for some reason, Thomas doesn't come. And because Thomas isn't there, think of what he missed. He missed getting to see Jesus alive standing there on that first resurrection Sunday. Think how much Thomas's faith might have been increased had he just shown up when the disciples were meeting. If he had just been present. You see, Thomas, because of his unbelief and his doubt, and because he fails to show up when the disciples meet the first time, goes from this Sunday through a whole week to the next Sunday with probably all kinds of negative feelings and doubt and discouragement taking place in his life when if he had only shown up on that first meeting on that first Sunday evening, he could have been pumped up like the rest of the disciples, saying, man, it's true, Jesus is alive. So here's my point with that. I wonder how many things we miss that God had planned for us when we just indiscriminately decide, you know what, I'm just not going to go to church today. I'm not talking about you had to work. I'm not talking about you were sick. I'm just saying, you know, sometimes we'll just kind of say, I, I just don't think I'm going to go. See, I thought about this a lot this week because I know I'm up here as the preacher right now, but guys, there were times in my life that I indiscriminately just kind of decided, I, I don't think I'm going to go today. When I was in law enforcement, before being called in the ministry, Becky and I were married. Jessica, my oldest, was a baby, just been born. And for a while, I worked third shift in law enforcement, and it was kind of easy just to go ahead and stay up and, and go to church with Becky. But then when they moved me to second shift, it became, you know, really easy for me to come home because, you know, see, if you've never worked second shift long term, you don't understand what I'm about to say. But see, I get off at 1 in the morning, and it was like you getting off at 5, you know? So, you know, I, I'd go home and, you know, want to watch television and stuff. Now, I'm old, so back then I would have to sit there and watch the, you know, the pattern or whatever on the screen. Uh, it wasn't on all night like it was, you know, it is now. So, uh, but anyway, I, I, I got in a pattern of just not showing up. And, and my dear wife started doing something behind the scenes. She started praying that God would do something to get my backside out of bed and go to church with her and our little baby daughter. I didn't even know she was doing it. Within a few weeks after that, God kind of did more than what she expected. God called me to preach. So here's a moral. If you want to be called to preach, you better just stink and show up at church, Okay. But 
I thought about it as I studied this week, what, what did I miss maybe on those Sundays that I just kind of just indiscriminately just said, I'm not going. I didn't really have a good reason for it. I, I just said, I'm not going to go. Maybe God has something scheduled, planned for me because He knows all things and He knows what's going on in my life. Just maybe He had something scheduled, planned for me that I needed that Sunday that I just said, you know what, I'm not going. What maybe have you missed in your life on times that you've just kind of, without any good cause, reason, or whatever else, you just kind of said, you know what, I think I'm just not going to go. Because if you're not careful, it will become a pattern that will affect your life in a negative way. Maybe you're having relational problems in your life, and God has something planned in that worship service. Might have been in the songs, might have been in the prayer, might have been in the message. But maybe God has something planned in that particular service that would help you with the relational problems that you were going through. And you missed it because you weren't there. Maybe you're going through some financial difficulty, and God had planned for you in that particular service some principles that might would help you with finances in your life. Maybe you were having some kind of sin in your life that was recurring, and then it kind of embedded itself into your life, and you're just wrestling, trying to win victory over that particular sin. And possibly on that Sunday, you just indiscriminately said, I'm not going. God had something for you in that service that was going to help you get freedom from the bondage you had been facing in that sin. Maybe it was just this. Maybe you were just really down and out discouraged and depressed. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to where you just want to pull the cover up over your head and forget it was daylight? Forget you had a day or maybe something you needed to go and do and, and you just wanted to kind of hang out in the darkness a little bit longer? You see, that might have been where Thomas was in his life. Because look, all that had just happened. Jesus that he'd been following for three years had been crucified. Thomas was guilty of doing what all the rest of them had done. I know Peter was a cheerleader. Peter had said louder than anybody else, I don't care if they all deny you, I will not do it. And then all the rest of them chimed in and said the same thing. And yet Thomas ran off when Jesus was arrested and crucified. So maybe Thomas is really in a, in a dark hole in his life, in a depressed state in his life. Can you imagine how much it would have helped him if he had just been there that first Sunday? And instead, he gets to carry that discouragement and that depression all that week until he gets to see Jesus the next Sunday. God, all, all I'm trying to do is just kind of call your attention to this. Don't let it become a pattern that you just decide to indiscriminately miss worship because God knows where you are in your life and what you need in your life and He might have just had something for you, especially for you on that week that you decide, I'm just not going. Not just a pattern that can affect your faith in a negative way, but there are also some attitudes that we can see in this story that will affect people's faith in a negative way. He told them, after they said, we've seen the Lord, Thomas said, man, unless I see it, unless I have a mathematical equation, unless I have scientific evidence, unless I see it with my own eyes, unless I can touch it, I'm just not going to believe. I want you to look at some attitudes that can affect our faith in a negative way. One is this. When we fail to believe the credible testimony of other people, 
The other disciples, look who it is that's telling him. The other disciples, people that Thomas knew, people that Thomas had walked with for three years following Jesus, people that had been there with Thomas and they had seen Jesus do things like walk on water and multiply the bread and fishes and all kinds of neat stuff. That's who it is that's telling Thomas that they've seen the Lord. I mean, you would have thought there would have been enough water under the bridge between Thomas and the disciples that when they went and told Thomas, hey, he's alive, Thomas would have said, really? He, he is. He's, he's a live man. I want to go see him. Instead, no, he says, I'm not going to believe it. And you see, people still do that today. So I just believe this. I believe the disciples, were they were telling Thomas for his own good. They wanted Thomas to be encouraged. They wanted Thomas to understand that Jesus had taken his life back up. And, and Thomas is refusing to receive the credible evidence from other people that cared for him and loved him. Maybe that's where you are today. Can I encourage you to do something if that's where you are? If you've been rejecting credible evidence that other people that love you have been trying to give you about Jesus. They've been trying to tell you you need Jesus. They've been trying to tell you, look, that's the only way you can be forgiven of your sins. That's the only way you can go to heaven. They're not doing it trying to beat you up or, or take a big Bible. In, in a legalistic way just you know, smack you around with it they really care for you they really love you and they're giving you a credible testimony and you ought to have enough relationship under the bridge with them water under the bridge with them that you understand they're telling you something that they really think you need to hear what you ought to do is receive it if someone loves you enough to tell you that kind of truth in your life because they're wanting to help you out you need to receive it instead of just trying to push it off Refusing to believe the credible testimony of other people will affect your faith in a very negative way. Here's something else that really affects the faith of people in a negative way. Demanding to see physical or scientific evidence. Because that is pretty much what Thomas does. You see, Thomas kind of says, unless I see it, unless I can touch it, unless you can give me an equation that proves it to me that it's true, I am just not going to believe that Jesus is alive. And there are all kinds of people like that in the world today, guys. I run into them all the time and have throughout my ministry. Yeah, yeah I would believe in Jesus if I could just have seen Him die on the cross, if I was just there when He said, It is finished, when I was there when He took His life back up out of the tomb, if I could just see literally the wounds and touch His body, i tell you what I'd believe. There are a lot of people like that in the world today. They don't want to believe in Jesus because they want some kind of scientific equation or physical evidence or sight that helps them to believe that Jesus is really who He claims to be. Now here's the problem with that, because if you are someone that is dependent absolutely, completely upon physical evidence and scientific evidence that Jesus is who He claimed to be, here's the problem with that. Sight is not believing. Sight is not faith. Jesus does not want you to believe in Him because that you can have, have it scientifically proven to you. Jesus wants you to believe in Him by faith. God wants you to take Him at His word by faith. He doesn't want you to stand back and say, I'll believe if I can actually touch the body of Jesus and see the wounds or someone scientifically prove that all this is true, I'll believe. You see, the problem with that is it's not faith. 
Now, for some of you, you might not understand even why I'm going there. I want you to look at some Bible verses here about faith and sight. Romans 1, it says, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. In other words, there's a way to be made right with God that's revealed through the gospel. A righteousness that is by sight, that is by a scientific equation, that is by physical evidence. Is that what the Bible says? I think it says it's a righteousness, a way of being made right with God that's by faith from the first to the last. Just as it is written, the righteous, those who have been made right with God through Jesus, the righteous will live by faith, not by sight. Romans 3 says this, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who see. Is that what it says? To all who can mathematically figure it out. Or does it say to all that believe? Romans 14.23 says, And everything that does not come by faith is sin. So it's actually sinful for us to be standing back and saying, I will believe if I could touch Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says, We live by faith, not by sight. Look at some more verses. Hebrews tells us, For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. In other words, there's a group that had the gospel preached to them, two groups that had the Bible preached to them. It meant something to one group. It didn't mean anything to the other group. Here's why. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them. Here's why it was of no value to them. Because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. They were not believing. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and notice this, and certain of what we do not see. It's not saying it's being certain of things you can see that you can mathematically or scientifically figure out. Hebrews 11.3 says, And by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen, all of creation that we can see, was not made of what was visible. It was made by God who is invisible. Another verse. Without faith... It doesn't say without sight or without scientific evidence. It says without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. How is your faith today? Are you someone that's been standing back doubting and saying, I need physical evidence? Or are you someone that's taken God at His word and you've really, really believed? Second main issue today is this. Not only are you a doubter, but are you an encourager to the faith of others? We as believers, are we encouragers to the faith of other people? Or do we tend to write people off? In other words, I told you about Jesus once and you said no, I'm done with you. We let you come to our church one time and you showed up not dressed the right way or anything else and you didn't receive Jesus and change your whole lifestyle the first time you were at our church, so now we don't want you to come back. 
When someone that has faith issues and you've been trying to talk to them about Jesus and trying to lead them on the right pathway toward trusting in Jesus Christ, and yet it seems like it's going slower than you think it ought to, and they're not changing and believing as fast as you want them to, are you an encourager to them, or do you stick your holier-than-thou nose up in the air and say, I'm finished with you? Look at these verses. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Won't you, let's, let's learn some lessons from that right there. Here's the first lesson. If we're going to be an encourager to someone when we're trying to help them with faith issues, we need to allow people second chances. I don't know if you can identify with this or not, but I really can, so I'll raise my hand proudly. I am so thankful God gave me more than a second chance. How about you? Look at what the Bible says. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Notice this. Thomas was with them. Instead of them ostracizing Thomas and saying, Thomas, you should have been there and you weren't there, and because you're having trouble with your unbelief, that's just tough. We're done with you. You can go off wherever you want to go, but, you know, we're the disciples of Jesus. We're going to go over here and hang out in the house and wait for him to show up. That's not what the disciples did. The disciples took Thomas with them. I'll say more about this in a minute, but I think the disciples were creating an environment for Thomas to have his faith increased. Instead of them doing what I said a moment ago, instead of the disciples looking at Thomas and saying, you weren't there, and now we've tried to tell you, and you still won't believe, so we're better than you are, and we're going to walk off and leave you just wherever you are. They took time to walk beside him to have a relationship with Thomas and be sure Thomas was there the next week. And guys, I'm just afraid sometimes we fail at that because I'm afraid sometimes we as Christians expect people to change on our schedule instead of God's schedule. I think sometimes our churches are bad to look down upon people and say, well, you know, you've had your chance. We've tried to tell you about Jesus and you said no. Or look, you've screwed your life up again. You've screwed your life up again. You've messed up again in some way and we're just finished with you. And I don't think that's the pattern God wants us to follow. I think God wants us to give people second chances to walk with them where they are in their life the point that they are at in their life to walk with them from there and get them to where god wants them to be see i need to recognize that someone's over here and go over here where they are in their faith and try and meet them at their point of need here instead of me being over here expecting them to be here in their faith and they're there in their faith and since they're there in their faith not where i want them to be in their faith i'm just going to forget them so the disciples take Thomas with them that's huge don't get over that that's huge did you notice the Bible said that the doors were locked again <laughs> what's up with that 
Because the disciples were there hiding out the week before with the doors locked, afraid someone might be wanting to come and crucify them, afraid of the Jews that said the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. And now they're here after seeing the resurrected Lord with the doors locked again. I mean, what's wrong with those disciples? Well, see, you need to understand this. Read it closely. This time it doesn't say the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Now, just maybe this is the scenario. They have Thomas with them this time. They know that Thomas is not believing. They said, Thomas, let's go over here where we saw Jesus. And they go in the house, and they go over and intentionally lock all the doors. And then maybe the disciples just kind of come over and sit down and look at each other and grin a little bit. And then they look over at Thomas, and they said, Thomas, you just wait a few minutes. This is going to blow your mind. I believe that's why they locked the doors this time. It doesn't say anything about doing it because they were scared of the Jews. That was last week. Hey, they've seen Jesus alive. They're not scared of the Jews anymore. But they have Thomas with them. So they locked the doors again. And I think probably the main thing going on is this. They are creating the same environment that they had when they received Christ, when they saw that He was risen, when they believed that He was risen when they had total faith that He was who He claimed to be because they see the resurrected Lord, they're creating the same environment for Thomas to see the resurrected Lord where they saw the resurrected Lord. Guys, I, I think that's what God wants us to do <laughs> with other people. You and your life need to be creating environments for other people to believe, to find out where they are in their faith and create an environment to where they can really fully believe that Jesus is all that He says He is. I believe that's what this church is supposed to be about. I think it's what any church is supposed to be about. I don't care if the music's traditional or the dress is traditional or is more casual and contemporary like us. Every church, not just this type of church, but every church ought to be about creating environments for people to meet Jesus. Creating environments for someone to accept the fact that Jesus went to the cross, died for their sins, and He took His life back up, and He's still alive today. We ought to be creating environments for people to believe. We need to allow people second chances and not write them off when they don't believe or change as quick as we think they should. We ought to also practice some patience with them. Did you notice what Jesus did? We need to patiently be helping other people to believe. Though the doors were locked, same scenario, Jesus just comes in. <laughs> See, you guys remember who Jesus is. He's God in the flesh. He doesn't need somebody to open a locked door for Him. Jesus comes in. Thomas gets to see the same thing that they saw. Jesus walks in and He speaks peace again. And He said to Thomas the exact thing that Thomas had said he needed. 
He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Thomas, it's time for you to stop doubting and believe. You see, Jesus being God in the flesh knew exactly that Thomas had said that. He knew where Thomas was in his faith walk. He realized exactly what Thomas needed and why Jesus did not have to do it because he's God in the flesh. Jesus didn't have to show up the second time. Jesus didn't have to speak peace the second time. But he does it because he's being patient with Thomas. He's meeting Thomas where he was at and he is helping his faith. And if Jesus would do that, I guarantee you I ought to do that. And you ought to do that. And our church ought to do that. We ought to be patient with people who are struggling with faith issues and meet them where they are and help them believe in their life at the point that they're at. We're awful bad, I'm afraid, to expect someone to go from zero to a hero as a Christian just like that. Can I tell you something? There's sometimes I still feel like I'm a zero. How about you? And I don't feel much of a hero. But I'm so thankful there's a God in heaven that's patient with me. And you need to remember the same Jesus that spoke peace to you wants to speak peace to the lives of other people. And you need to give them second chances and be patient with them and give them the same opportunities that you had to believe fully in Jesus. Are you a doubter? Are you an encourager? That's what we're talking about today. How's your faith? Where do you fall into this? Are you someone that's doubting and you're wanting scientific evidence and physical evidence and wanting to see? Are you someone that might be further along in your faith if you had not indiscriminately just said, I don't think I'm going to this worship service or, or that one? You see, guys, I, honest, I'm not trying to come down on you as a preacher. I feel like I would be further along in my life probably if I hadn't missed some stuff. Are you someone that encourages other people? When you have friends and family members or acquaintances or strangers even that you're developing a relationship with and they don't change as fast as you think they should, do you encourage them or you just write them off? How's your faith? The last thing I want us to talk about today is this. Since we're talking about faith and asking the question, how is your faith? I want to ask you, are you completely totally 1,000, 1 million percent convinced concerning faith in Jesus Christ? Is there any doubt in your mind that He's who He said He is, that He's God in the flesh? Is there any doubt in your mind that He paid for your sins on the cross? Is there any doubt in your mind that He took His life back up? Is there any doubt in your mind that you yourself have a relationship with Him? Are you completely, totally convinced concerning faith in Christ? Look at these verses. Thomas said to him, Jesus shows up, speaks peace, shows him the same things he showed the other disciples. Said, Thomas, if you need to, touch it, whatever. Thomas said unto him, My Lord and my God. 
Then Jesus told him, Because you've seen, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus did many other signs, many other miraculous signs, in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Three things right here before we close and come to a time of decision, a time of invitation, a time for you to reflect upon what God has said to you and really where your faith is. The first one is this. There's a really amazing statement that Thomas made, a convincing statement that he made once he saw Jesus. He said this, My Lord and my God. My question to you this morning is this. Is Jesus your Lord and your God? Because Jesus should be that to you just like He was to Thomas. Jesus to you should be my Lord and my God. The word Lord means supremacy. In the Greek, it means to be supreme in authority, to be the controller, to be the master. In other words, guys, Jesus, for those of us that follow Him, for those of us that say that He's our Lord, we need to be striving for Him to be supreme in authority in our lives. Jesus ought to be running your life, not you or somebody else. You ought to be looking at Jesus as being the controller or the CEO or the boss of your life. He should be controlling your life. You ought to be looking at Him as being the master of your life. Is Jesus your Lord? Can you honestly say, as Thomas did, in response to what he saw that Jesus had done, down the cross, take his life back up, can you honestly say, I have total faith in you, you are my Lord and my God. See, the word God means the supreme divinity. And when you look at it really literal in the Greek, it's like it says this, exceeding God. You know, like you know, God big time, in other words. God, you know, multiplication. Just multiply it all you want to. That's the degree that Jesus is God. Jesus is exceeding God. We need to allow Him to be that in our lives. Your approach to Jesus and my approach to Jesus ought to be this. He's my Lord and He's my God. So is that where you are in your life? I mean, have you really trusted in Christ as Savior? second thing I want you to notice is this. There's a special blessing that Jesus talks about here. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In fact, he did this. He looked at Thomas and he said, because you've seen me, you've believed. And then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The word blessed in the Greek means supremely blessed. It means to be fortunate, and it means to be well off. That's the way that word was translated in the Greek. You know what we have a tendency to do, I'm afraid, even today in the church? Is to look back in the Bible at Bible characters and say, man, how great that would have been. How blessed I would have been if I could have actually seen Jesus on the cross and hear Him say, it's finished, and see Him bow His head and give up the ghost. Give his spirit up, commit it to the Father. Or how blessed I would have been if I could have been there and saw him take his life back up out of the tomb and see that he's standing there and he's alive. Man, how blessed we could have been if we had just been back then and we could have seen it with our eyes. You see, we tend to think like that. Well, here's what Jesus said. 
Jesus said, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. But you know what Jesus does here? Jesus looks down through time, and he sees everyone that's going to believe without seeing. And Jesus said, they're the ones that's blessed. See, I shouldn't have a desire to say, oh, if I could have lived then and have seen it. Jesus tells me I am blessed. Jesus tells you that you are blessed if you have trusted in Christ as Savior. If you have believed without seeing, you've exercised faith toward Him. And Jesus says because of that, you are supremely blessed. We're the fortunate ones. I'm going to date myself. <laughs> uh, band called Credence Clearwater Revival. Back in the 60s, late 60s, did a song called Fortunate Son. And in the song, they were saying, I'm not a senator's son. I'm not a fortunate one. They were saying, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I'm not a fortunate one. That was the point of their song. Well, here's why I mention it. Because I am a fortunate one. And if you receive Christ as your Savior, you are a fortunate one because you are a fortunate son of the God of all the universe who loved you so much He sent His Son to die on the cross. And when you believe in Him, He Himself says, you're blessed. You're blessed because you believed in Him. But have you done that? Here's our question today. How's your faith? So the very last thing I want us to do before we close and give this thing called an invitation is simply to tell you why you ought to believe. Why you should believe. Why you should be completely, totally convinced in who Jesus is and what Jesus did. The Bible tells us Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples notice this which are not recorded in the book in other words Jesus did a ton of stuff that's not written down in the presence of his disciples he did all kinds of amazing miracles that they didn't even write down but it says these are written in other words the ones that are written in the gospel of John the miracles that John tells about in his gospel they are written for a purpose these miracles took place that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Miraculous signs means this. The word miraculous means an indication or a token. An indication or a token. It comes from a root word that means a mark to indicate or to signify something. In other words, it's a sign. It was given to be a sign to signify something. The word that literally means in order that. Jesus did these miracles in the Gospel of John, all these miraculous signs, in order that you can believe. And that means to have faith in, to give credit to, to entrust your spiritual well-being to Christ. That's why He did the miracles. Why do we have signs? Why do we have a sign out front that says, Day 3 Church? Here's why. Because when we tell people how to get to Day 3 Church, it's pretty easy anymore. Just tell them to go down 321, go past Captain's Galley. Everybody in the world knows where Captain's Galley's at. 
Second building on the right past Captain's Galley, there's a sign there that says Day 3 Church. That's where you turn in. We put a sign up so people can find us. Go to a huge hospital, Baptist Hospital, Duke Hospital, places like that. Why do they have all those numbers and signs hanging over the hallways and on every corner and every turn? In order that you might go in, get the number where the person you're trying to see is at, which room they're in, and then you can follow the signs until you get to the room to see the person that you're wanting to see. Why do we have signs out on the highway? Directional signs, informational signs. So when you are on a trip, you can know you're supposed to turn left here. You're supposed to turn right here. You can know it's so many miles until you get to your destination. This past uh, Friday night, uh, a, a couple in our church was married, and uh, Daryl was doing the ceremony. I wasn't doing it, and uh, Becky and me kind of got our wires crossed. Uh, she thought I was going to meet her there. I was sitting here thinking that she was going to come by here, and we were going to go from here together uh, over to the wedding. It was going to be a, just an outside wedding over here on the lake. And uh, anyway, so it's about five minutes of time for the, for the ceremony to start. And uh, I finally get Becky on the phone, and I said, where are you? And she said, well, I'm over here waiting on you. And I said, well, I'm over here waiting on you. Because I didn't know if she knew how to get there. And she said, well, I'm following the signs that they've got out on the road. So she followed the signs, and it got her to where a wedding was taking place. So I get over there, and I didn't know exactly where the place was. I know generally where to turn in at and where to go. But then I follow the signs, and the signs get me exactly to where a wedding's taking place. See, God gives us signs because there's going to be a wedding out in the future called the marriage supper of the lamb and he wants you to be there and he wants me to be there and that's why he gives us signs to direct us on how to get there why did jesus do all these miracles why did jesus turn water to wine so you would believe he's who he said he was why did jesus multiply the loaves and the fishes so you'd believe why did he walk on water why did he still the storm he did it so you'd believe why did he heal the lame, the blind, and the people that were sick and diseased? He did it to give us evidence so we'd believe in him. Why did Jesus raise the dead? He did it so we would believe in him. Why did Jesus go to the cross, shed his blood, scream it is finished, buried in the ground, take his life back up on the third day? He did it so we would believe. That's why you ought to believe today. So how's your faith? Let's pray. Father, God, we ask you right now just to speak to us in a, in a way that's undeniable, in a way that's clear. Lord, if there are people here who have doubted that Jesus is who He claimed to be, that Jesus did what He said He did by dying on the cross for their sins. And they have failed to trust in Him because they've been trying to wait on physical evidence or scientific proof. Father, I pray today, if there's someone that is doubting, that You would give them the faith that they need to say yes to Jesus. Lord, for those of us that already know Him, God, I pray right now that You would help us to make a special commitment to be encouragers to the faith of other people. God, forgive us if there have been times in our lives that we have written other people off, 
that we have failed to give them a second chance, that we have failed to go the extra mile with them, that we have failed to meet them at their point of need and, and help them have faith in you. Father, I pray right now, if, if any of us, myself included, God, if any of us are guilty of having written someone off, God, give us that name right now. Call it to mind that we may go back and renew a relationship and help that person walk toward you. Help them take their next step toward you. God, I pray you help us as a church to create environments for other people to believe. Help us to create environments for other people to experience the same Jesus and the same hope and the same confidence and the same faith that we have. But Father, especially this morning, if there's someone that is not completely sure, if they are not completely confident that they've trusted in Jesus, God, right now, give them the faith they need. Jesus, be just like you were to Thomas. Wherever they are in their point of need right now, give them what they need to believe. Help them to step over the line right now and say yes to Jesus. Help them to look at all the evidence of all the miracles and believe you're who you said you are and that you did for them what you said you'd do by dying on the cross and help them right now to say yes to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. The band's going to sing. Daryl and myself will be here at the front. If we can help you in any way at all concerning your faith, please come. Maybe you've been a doubter and you need to get over your doubt. I pray right now, if you've been a doubter, that Jesus meets you like He did Thomas right at your point of need. And I hope He gives you everything you need right now to step over the line. Believe Jesus is all that He said that He was. I pray right now if you feel like I do, and I think a lot of us probably need to take care of this, that we fail to be the encourager that we ought to be for other people. Just maybe some of us this morning as Christians need just to come and kneel and pray and say, God, forgive me that I'm not being the encourager that I should be to the faith of others. And God, help me to encourage other people to take the next step in their life toward you. You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com.